Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into another weekend and just another week. It's the Winter Circle Network and Ralph Sampson and Center Court. I'm Mac McDonald. Great to talk to you and, and Ralph, good to see you. And I hope you had a good Super Bowl week. And, uh, you know, it would have been fun to have been with Brady on the boat and watching him throw the trophy across the water. And uh, did you enjoy the Super Bowl? Well, I'm sure everybody out there thought the Super Bowl was going to be something totally different and that uh, Mahone and Brady will go back to back, but that tells you how good Brady is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had Mo Williams on last week, and you talked about the legacy of Brady as well. And you saw that legacy still in full effect. And he said he was coming back for more, Mac. I don't know. Come back and try to defend that championship. But, wow, what a game for him, family, the history of football. I mean, he's got to be the best ever uh, quarterback that's ever played and his longevity being 43 years of age. I, I just marveled at what he did. Uh, although their defense was pretty good. I mean, yeah, the defense, defense was really, really good to stop Mahomes from doing anything. He had no touchdowns and he couldn't get out of the pocket. They just killed him on defense. So, uh, congrats to the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, Ralph, when you see a a guy that's really, really good like that, the intensity. Uh, of the moment, the intensity of sport itself. And a lot was made about the honey badger argument and the apology afterwards or whatever. But when you're in that moment, and I know you, God, the battles, when I think back to uh, the battles with Buck Williams and, uh, you know, in Carolina and, uh, and what that, you know, Perkins and all that, I mean, I could go on and on and on and just name all these people that you battled night in and night out. It's pretty intense, isn't it? From an athlete standpoint, it's intense. But basketball, because you're going physically one on one with somebody, defense and offense. Football, you're going offense and defense, defense and offense. But I mean, think about Brady coming from New England, one of the most prestigious teams in, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. One year removed, comes to Tampa Bay and wins the Super Bowl. Uh, and it's that intensity in him. You see him all the time. I talked about this before where he goes on the sideline, he reads and studies the game. He knows, he knows he's good. And he knows his position in the history of the game, right? He has to know that. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to shine, you've got to play perform every day, and he prepared for it. I was reading a statement that this was the longest period of time because of COVID at home by himself for 12 days to prepare for the game. Yeah. 12 days to prepare for this game. So you saw his preparation, you heard it, you can see it on the sideline, and then you see him win the championship. So. Yeah, you know, he he knows so much, you're right, about the game and the X's and O's and the ability to be able to channel that. And then where Bruce Arians actually said, he's a coach, 
And when they went into that little uh, dip in November, they lost three games. Yes, and, yes. You know, Arian said, I'm just going to get out of the way. I'm going to get yep. out of the way and, and let him coach. How much how much leeway did you get as a player? Uh, I mean, did you have any input, say, with 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 Coach Berge, Terry Holland, uh, and the NBA? Did you ever have, because of who you were, because of your stature, did you ever have any input as far as game plan or let's do this, do that? Well, the crazy part about it, you know, coaches can coach, but players play. Mm-hmm. And so on the game, when you know something's going on, you can say, AK hey, here, Odell or Ricky or whatever, you push up. Now, we may have practiced it in practice, but we can make a call. We can look at each other and say, you push up, I got your back. Yeah. You know, I'll get the rebound. Or I'll, I'm sending my way, I'm going to block the shot. So you knew that internally on the court because coaches couldn't. They, they can't do that. They can run, draw, play up, but they don't know what's going to happen. But instinctively, a player can be on the court where the coach can't even understand what you did because you instinctively did it. I was playing with the Houston Rockets, and I was sitting beside Bill Fitch in, in timeouts and or when I was sitting on the bench deliberately to see what he was thinking. And I would say something was getting ready to happen. He said, how'd you know that? I said, because my instinct's a little bit different than yours. You a coach. You didn't play at all, but you a coach, and I know what he's getting ready to do because I'm on the court with Hakeem Olajuwon all the time. So the instincts and the players take over in the game, and no coach can, no coach can call that. No, that's really good stuff. Uh, by the way, for more content and information on Senecourt, you can follow us at, at Senecourt Podcast 50 and Ralph Sampson 50 on all social media platforms. We'll go to break. Hall of Famer, Charlie Scott, one of the greats to ever play the game, one of the greats at Carolina and the first black athlete at North Carolina, one of the first black athletes to play in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And boy, his stories are many. We've got him for about 30 minutes when we come back. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson on the Winner's Circle Network. The mission for the Sampson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540 615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. The Winner's Circle Network and the Samson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Our guest today on the Winner's Circle Network needs no introduction. Truly one of the greats to ever play in the ACC. He played for North Carolina and Dean Smith 1967 and 1970. The one, the only Hall of Famer, Charlie Scott. Ralph, I will let you do the honors. Charlie, thanks for joining us. I've been telling Mac about you, but I started talking to my son, Ralph, and then he told me to tell you hello. He might jump on as well because he remembers those lovely practices and all the kind of stuff you taught him way back in the day, which was only uh, a couple years ago. Now he's like 30 years old and a grown man, so it's kind of crazy, whatever. But 
you know, having you on is special to me because, you know, these shows out here as well as this time with Black History Month tells us about your story. And I know in talking to you over the years and having to come riding with you in Atlanta and the Hall of Fame is special. So thank you for joining us. And hey, Mike, let's get this party started. Charlie, it's so great to see you. And I think, you know, just to begin, I think if you could, if you could center yourself on one memory to be in Chapel Hill, uh, to be with that Carolina basketball program. One memory, what would it be? Well, I mean, uh, anyone who went to North Carolina, you asked me what's my main memory would be Coach Smith. Because I think Coach Smith is the character and the personality of everything that we were involved in at North Carolina. And really, the university itself picked up his characteristics to try to be the type of university that was liberal and open-minded. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, like, and especially for a young man like me who was coming from Harlem and then uh, uh, had uh, gone to school in North Carolina, which was at, and it was the first time I've ever been to a segregated school when I went to high school in North Carolina and, and being in the South. It, it, it was a new experience for me altogether. But um, people got to realize these were the 60s and these were the days where people had to do things. You had a responsibility and it just happened that the responsibility fell on me to happen to be the first black athlete to go to the University of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I'm proud of that circumstance, but to be honest with you, there should have been players before me like Lou Hudson or Herm Gillian, guys, or Walt Bellamy, guys who were from the state of North Carolina. But at the time that they were being recruited, the university did not, or the ACC did not allow, you know, uh, uh, blacks to play. The ACC had a rule that you had to have over 800 on your SAT in order to play in the ACC. And, you know, and, and, and people don't realize, and I'm gonna tell you a little story. One of the persons that recruited me at that time was Press Maravich. And he was at North Carolina State at that time. Sure. And he recruited me and he gave me this big speech. He said, I'm gonna give you the chance to play with my son, Pete. <laughs> so he was so he the opportunity to play with Pete Maverick. That was supposed to be my biggest thrill in life, that he would give me the opportunity to play with his son, Pete. But people don't know the reason Press left North Carolina State is because Pete never got over 800 on the SAT. Oh, wow. So therefore, that's why he left North Carolina State and went to LSU, where the Southeastern Conference did not have an SAT score. But Press Maverick was at, was at North Carolina State, and and, and he had recruited me there. But, you know, um, I was really naive. I have to give more credit to my high school coach because if I was to choose the school I wanted to go to, I would have gone to Davidson College because I had Lefty Dizelle. And he was, and Lefty Dizelle is the most lovable person you can run into. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, and, 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 and I was fortunate enough when I met him and he, and especially a young man like me who came from Harlem who my father had died when I was 14. My mother had left us when I was 11. So I was really by myself. And he was really a guy that really showed a lot of interest in me. And not only that, uh, Lefty allowed me to choose the other guys that would go to school with me. So I chose four guys that went to Davidson College. I chose Mike Malone and Doug Cook and Jerry Crowell. I chose those guys to be my teammate because he allowed me to choose the other guy that would go to school with me. So I, I mean, that was the guy I was really in love with. But my high school coach 
understood the significance of being the first black athlete at the state university. Wow. So he kind of pushed me in that direction, you know? So, I mean, that was something that I really, I knew I was going to be the first black athlete at one of these schools. I had been, I had visited Duke. I had visited state. I visited Wake Forest. I visited Davidson in North Carolina. So if I knew I would have been the first black at any one of those schools, but I didn't really understand the significance of being the first black at the University of North Carolina, which was the state university and the very first state university in in, in America. A story resonates with me that you told me once before, and I I don't know all the gist of it, but you was uh, maybe another player, y'all was down Tobacco Road somewhere and walking into the university or walking from the university to a dropped off, whatever it be. And I think the cops stop you or something like that or oh, something no. ha- something yeah. happened. So tell me that story, because I, I remember no, no, that you no, tell me that. No, no, just when I was in Laurenburg, just when I was in Laurenburg Institute. And then like, you know, we were young high school guys. So we had, and this is in Laurenburg, North Carolina. And, and if you're not from North Carolina, that's a very small town near Fayetteville. And we had left school and we were walking, you know, we were walking to the store and uh, we were with two, two friends of mine, me and my friend named Skip and my friend named I, we were walking to the grocery store to go get a hamburger and the police stopped us and put us in the car and took us to a house where a young white lady had been raped by three black men. And when they took us to this house, standing on the porch, was her husband with a shotgun in <laughs> yeah. And they took us out of the car and really took us and just asked the young lady, are these the men that raped you? And I'm pretty sure, luckily she said no, they were a lot shorter. Cause you know, I was six four, my <laughs> other friend was six four. She said, no, they were a lot shorter. I said, but to be honest with you, Ralph, this is the truth. She was crying. I was so damn scared. I said, she can't see. She got teeth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, the husband's standing there with a shotgun in his head. Wow. And she got tears in her eyes. I'm saying, no, sir, she can't see. She got tears in her eyes. She can't really see us. But she said, no, they were a lot shorter. But so, you know, that was one experience I had in the South where I knew that things were a lot different than from where I grew up at. Yeah, coming coming from New York, it's got to be, I mean, it's night day, right? Coming from New York City, the big city, whatever you're playing in, you know, all uh, pajama American high school to North Carolina. That's that's kind of night and day, right? So, I mean, how did you? Well, I mean, you know what? And, and then especially being from New York, we always think you country guys are dumb. So yeah, following his days at Laurenburg, Charlie Scott played yeah. in North Carolina from 1967 to 1970. And so, Charlie, being how much impact or how much, how big of a deal was it that either Carolina was making about that you're going to be the first black athlete or how, who, was, was it a big deal to you, to them? How did that all come down? Well, to be honest with you, it wasn't a big deal. To, I mean, outwardly, it was not a big deal to me. I mean, I was too young to understand the ramifications, you know, how large, I mean, what this really meant. It wasn't a big deal to me from that standpoint. And to be honest with you, Coach Smith never talked to me about my color. Uh, Coach Smith never, ever, you know, uh, he that was he never made that part of our conversation. We never really ever talked about color. 
That was Coach Smith's way. And, and people don't really understand, Coach Smith's father had a black on the team back in 1935 in Emporio, Kansas. So, I mean, this was something that was that was innate in Coach Smith's uh, uh, character and his family character. And he never really talked to me about color. My, uh, my junior year, you know, usually from Thanksgiving, you get a couple of days off and you come back to practice. Well, I was late coming back to practice one day. So Coach Smith and Sam, I know you've been in Carmichael Auditorium. Coach Smith made me run the steps up and down the Carmichael Auditorium, but I had to run. And you remember those days you had the 25 pound vest and you had the Converse that had the weight to them. So I'm running up and down the steps and I'm running up and down. I ran for about 15 minutes. Then I ran for about 20 minutes and I'm perspiring and I'm, 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 I'm tired. And I'm still running. And finally, I go over to Coach. I, I just stopped and I walked with Coach. I said, Coach. He said, oh, Charles. He said, I didn't know that. I said, you mean to tell me you didn't notice that the only black spot on your team was not <laughs> on the court at that time? Your unconditional love and understanding have been my North Star, guiding me to this path that I am in today. You have loved me without restriction and accepted me for who I am and for whatever I should be. I hope I prove worthy of this devotion. Trudy, thank you for being there. I needed you, and you are the reason I'm the man that I am today. I am very proud to be standing up here as a member of the class of 2018. I am very proud to be an alumnus of the University of North Carolina. But more importantly, I am very proud to be standing up here as a black man that took a path that wasn't easy, but was the right path to take. Thank you. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift, empower, educate. It was a special night for one Charlie Scott, former North Carolina, former NBA great. It was the night he had a chance to thank his family. It was the night he had a chance to make a statement. It was a very special night because he was being inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Stick? It's special to me. So when we introduced uh, the great Charlie Scott, and Charlie knew what going so we got to give him the label Hall of Famer because, uh, because Charlie knows and I know like. It took too freaking long, right, to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, I was in. I didn't know if I would ever get in, but your stats, whatever it be, are way better than mine in the history of the of the game. So, what does that Hall of Fame mean to you, Charlie? Because I know we talked about it when you got in. It became, you know, kind of a brotherhood where we got. But I want to kind of highlight that because I know we talked about it. But I want to make people that listen out there that know you are Hall of Famer. You should have been a Hall of Famer a long time ago, and it's and finally justice is done. But it should have been done, you know. 20 years ago. Well, I mean, the Hall of Fame, I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you something. I got to go back to another story and tell you how I get to the Hall of Fame. Why <laughs> okay. I the way I do feel. My junior year at North Carolina, we were the number two team in the country. I averaged 22 points a game. We were the only team in the ACC that was ranked. I made first team All-American. I was the only player in the ACC to be picked All-American. In the final game against Duke, I scored 40 points, which is still now an ACC championship record. The player of the year that year in the ACC was John Roach. So 
this gives you an idea how I learn to cope with things sometimes when they don't. <laughs> gotcha, you, understand gotcha. you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, besides all those things, the player of the year in the ACC that year was John Roach. I was first team All-American. We won the ACC tournament and, and, and regional. I hit the last second basket to beat Davidson. I scored 40 in the championship game, but John Roach was the most was the was the ACC basketball player of the year. Wow. So, so that type of circumstance showed me that sometimes what you do, you cannot expect others to give you the credit that you sometimes might feel like you deserve. So I learned from that experience that. The only thing I could do is go out there and, and play and earn the respect of the players. After that, I had no control over, over things. That was the way I had my mindset, you know, when I was not in the Hall of Fame, that I that you know that only thing I can do is go by how the players felt about me. And right. if the players gave me the respect that that showed me that they felt that way, that's the only thing that I could really go by. And I always used to tell my family that. But once you get into the Hall of Fame, your head changes. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. Okay. You want the truth? Yeah, you changed then. You know, I, I, I mean, there is an there 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 is an there is an exhilaration for appreciation, you know. And I think you know that was something that meant a, a lot to me, you know the appreciation because again, to be picked by the veterans players mean that you were chosen by the guys that you played against and guys who had knowledge of your ability. You know, I wasn't much of a spokesperson for the newspaper guys who had the first one. <laughs> so, you know, I understand that point. But I'm, and like I said, the way that I was able to really make myself understand the circumstances was from the experience I had at Carolina in that other uh, in the year of my junior year in college. Wow. But of course, you know, being a Hall of Fame, you know, once that happened, you know, it, it's exhilarating and, and, for, and for something that you tried to do the best you can to be accepted as saying, yeah, you are one of the elites to do it. It's something that you always feel appreciated for in life. Which now I want to ask Trudy if you became a handful six years ago then. <laughs> he was always a handful. <laughs> there it was. More, more of a handful you know, six, six years ago. Your producer is on standby. I love it. So uh, the great, the great Charlie, the Hall of Famer, Charlie Scott is with us and, and Charlie going through the, I mean, I just think of a million things during those times in the Olympics in 68 of course, you know, it's a very volatile time. How were things on the Carolina campus at that time? Or were you shielded from a lot of what was going on outside of, you know, Carmichael and, and playing basketball? Well, no, you couldn't be. That was 68. That was, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, I, I was the 68 Olympics. I mean, this was the year Martin Luther King was killed. John F. Kennedy, I mean, uh, Bobby Kennedy was killed. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this was a very volatile time. And not only that, this was the time where the Black Student Union was just beginning to evolve and grow on the University of North Carolina's campus. And again, I mean, I went to the Olympics, you know, I mean, at that time you had to try out for the Olympics. So, you know, I, um, we went to the NCAA finals and after the game, 
I was told, I didn't even know I was even being, you know, a, a thought of, of going there. I was, I was, I was picked to go try out for the Olympics. And uh, Ralph, you'll like this story because I always tell a story. Uh, when I went to try out, at that time, you'd be put on teams. And on my team, I had Calvin Murphy. Calvin, <laughs> Calvin, Say no more. Say no more. All right. No, no. Calvin was my roommate. Oh, okay. Well, y'all were good then. You were good. So we're sitting in the room and we all talking about, well, how am I going to make the Olympic team? So I said, well, Calvin, you know what? You average 38 points a game. Everybody know you can score. There's no problem about you scoring. You got to show them that you can do other things on the court. Make long story short, I ended up being the leading scorer of the Olympic trials. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wasn't a fun night in Cal Murphy. So he was mad. He was real mad. I never let Calvin forget that. Y'all said, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a legend series. I'm going to get y'all two in the same, same, same podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 he, he was talking a lot. You know, he talks, still talks a lot of noise. And you know how Calvin is and whatnot. You know, you know, I should have made that team. Whatnot. You know how Calvin is. So you're there. Big time, big time. Being there, I mean, and, and again, the worst thing that ever I, I think I ever done in life, and I saw a little, they had a story on this just recently on TV, was that at the 68 Olympics, after John Carlos and Tommy Smith had raised their fists, mm -hmm. Avery Brundridge called a meeting of all the black athletes. And they made us all meet, you know, after they had kicked Tommy in and John out of the Olympic village, and they made us meet. And when they made us meet, they brought in Jesse Owens to speak to us. Wow. But the thing about it was that at this time, Jesse Owens wasn't really the right person to speak to us at that time. And I'm ashamed to say that we, and I'm talking about the black athletes kind of booed Jesse because he was trying to tell us that the Olympics was not the time to make him, you know, to make this movement. And, and then you got to realize at 68, we didn't want to hear that. Our generation did not want to hear those type of, of type. We felt like, you know, like that's why A.B. Brunner treated us the way he treated us. And, you know, because he told Spencer and I that if we did anything, he would kick us out the village and not give us back our passport and make us stay in Mexico. You know, so I mean, you know, uh, when he sent uh, Jesse Owen to speak to the black athletes, you know, we kind of, um, we, we didn't respond well to it. And I think it really hurt his feelings the way that we, I mean, we black athletes responded to him. And to this day, I always feel bad about that situation because he was still Jesse Owen, but the times and the things he was trying to tell us to respond to, especially to Avery Brundridge, was something right. that we could not in any form of fashion uh, 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 agree to. They wanted, because Avery Brundridge made it very clear, if anyone else did that, you would be kicked out of the village and would be kicked out without your passport. So you oh, don't wow. have to take wow. out passports when you, you know, the, the Olympic team had your passport. So if you're down in Mexico without a passport, you ain't getting back. You can't get back. And, 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 and like, and this is something else I also regret, Ralph. At the last, the last game that we played when we won the Olympic gold medal, I, I got my medal, but I took my uniform and I threw it on the ground and left it there and left that night. And that was oh, wow. I left my uniform right there on the ground because you know that, you know, that's the way we felt about the circumstances at that time.
I know you've been interviewed a gazillion times. I know you got great stories, but I'm going to ask Trudy to come in for a second right there and say, okay, what's the best thing about Charlie Scott from the wife's perspective? Because I'm sure, you know, as we have uh, kids and marriage or whatever, they never get interviewed, right? <laughs> so so I want to know how it feel, Trudy, that when he got to the Hall of Fame, because I know on that podium, when you look out there, you have your kids with you, your wife with you. Some people say, well, I made him here because of my wife, my kids, whatever. But Trudy, what is your vision of Charlie at the Hall of Fame? And tell me something that we don't know about Charlie that, that, uh, that you know, we as fans out here would not know. And I know you've got some stories in there somewhere. Well, you know what? The thing that I think most people would not believe about him is he loves musicals. I mean, oh my goodness, the New York City musical. <laughs> Charlie Scott loves New York City musical, man. Come on. Hey, greatest showman. That's my favorite. That was my favorite one, The Sound of Music. All right, all right, all right. All right, so, Charlie, so number one musicals. Sing us your one. favorite, your favorite song from that musical. Uh, just well, a couple of bars. Come on, Charlie, a couple well, of bars. No, a deer, a female deer. You <laughs> 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 think I knew it? All right. Hey, I go through the whole song when, they, when it was on TV. We go through it together. At the there you go. There you go. So, so through that Hall of Fame moment, what did it feel like at, at the wife and seeing your husband up there on that podium finally to get his just due? Oh, you know, a very proud moment. Very proud, you know, very, um, like you say, long waiting for it. You know, we felt that it would happen. He never really talked about it because he felt that it just wasn't going to happen even though justly he knew that he deserved it, but he didn't really feel like it was going to happen. So he never got excited. And it was so funny because I got the phone call first. Uh-oh. And I got the phone call first and um, it was Spencer. And Spencer said, Trudy, now make sure he answers the phone because I know how he is. If he don't recognize the number, he, not, <laughs> he doesn't recognize the number, he's not going to answer the phone. So it was it was exciting, you know. I mean, then afterwards, then he admitted that, you know, it meant so much to him, but he would never acknowledge that just because of, you know, the, the side of not receiving it. So that part was really good. And for the kids, you know, we have three children and um, they're all extremely, extremely proud. And uh, <laughs> the kids, you know, Sean would walk around campus like, do you know who I am? I mean, <laughs> don't. don't um, I'm Charlie Scott's son. <laughs> no, hey, Ralph. Hey, no, Ralph, Ralph, I'm going to tell you a better story. My daughter worked in the basketball office. So the AD kept saying to her, well, Simone, you don't want people to treat you special because you're Charlie Scott's daughter. She said, yeah, I do want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said, he said, I know you get tired of people introducing you as Charlie Scott's daughter. She said, no, it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> <laughs> she very proud daughter, daughter, very proud yeah. daughter. She should be. Yeah. with her perks. <laughs> yeah. She was going to get a job on work on campus. So she was sitting in, in the office to talk to the young lady and the lady talked with five minutes. Then the lady started to walk out. So she called me up. So I called back to the office and, and my, my daughter told her, don't go no place. My father's getting ready to call you. <laughs> <laughs> she got the job, sir. She got the job. She got the job. She worked. She know how to work it. Hey, she got the job, and then she was set when my son Sean came. He didn't even have to apply. He was just the job. Say <laughs> so just because you know my sister, Hall of Famer Charlie Scott, and that lovely lady here in the background, his wife Trudy, and uh, glad that uh, they could join this show. So, Charlie. 
you had the chance to go NBA. Why the Virginia Squires? Why the ABA at that time after your stellar, stellar career at Carolina? Well, to be honest with you, it's all because of Larry Brown. You know, uh, Larry Brown was my freshman coach mm-hmm. at, at, at Carolina. And to be honest with you, Larry Brown was probably the most important person in the reason that I went to North Carolina because, you know, I was 17 at the time I met Larry. He was only in his 20s. You know, yeah. he, he had been playing basketball. He was from New York. He knew about Connie Hawkins. He knew about Billy Cunningham. He played against these guys. We had a common bond of basketball because he was from the city. So I really uh, got closer to Larry when I first got there at Carolina than any place, than, than, than really to Coach Smith. So uh, after my sophomore year, Larry went to the ABA. And, of course, we always stayed in close contact. Mm-hmm. My senior year, uh, Larry was playing for the Virginia Squires with Rick Barry. And, 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 and they talked to me because at that time the team was in Washington. And they thought that, they thought that it, by the team being in Washington, by having Rick Barry and another guy named Warren Jabali and, and Larry Brown, and, and they said if I came there, that they thought that they would have a good chance to go into the NBA. And, and for me, to be able to play with Rick Barry and Larry Brown to me was really a, a very salient point for me wanting to play in the ABA and also thinking that it would eventually be, I mean, join into the NBA. So, I mean, Larry was really a, a significant, you know, you know, part of, of me doing that, of, of going to the ABA at that time. Mm-hmm. It, it, it fit my nature, you know. I, I did the same thing at Carolina. I, I tried something new. So, you know, you know, sometimes you feel like, you know, you feel that way, yeah, you know, let me do it again. Let me see if I can, you know, you know, do this again. You know, you know, this is something new, you know. And and plus, Connie Hawkins was in that league. You know, I grew up watching Connie Hawkins. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you know, so so there, there were things that really interest me about the ABA and being able – I thought I'd be able to play with Rick Barry, and and and, and those were the things that really uh, uh, made me go to the ABA at that time. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure playing with Rick was difficult then and difficult today. So Rick, well, Rick, Rick never it, changed. Rick never, Rick never came. Never, Rick, never changed. He still can play today. He never came. He never came to uh, Virginia. That's when he said he had it on a couple of Sports Illustrated. He didn't want his kids growing up saying y'all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. That so was Rick. That sounds like Rick. So they traded him to the New York Nets at that time. Yeah, that sounds like so. So, so, Chuck, can you so you mentioned the NBA, the ABA merge in, in, in that era and that time? That's the you know, the early 70s and this, that, and other. And that's you know, seemed like it was years ago when it really for us, it was just not like yesterday. Imagine back then what Charlie Scott people always ask the question, could I play with the, with the NBA today? And I'm saying, yeah, they couldn't play with us. Uh, could I play with yes, I, we could, we beat them. And then imagine what is Charlie Scott worth back in those days in today's market. You know what though, and I will tell you what, you know, I, I I love the game today, but when I see a seven foot guy sit out there shooting a three pointer and and then getting congratulated for hitting 35% of them, <laughs> when he can hit 70% of the shots inside the lane, I just don't understand that. I, I, I mean, that's hard for me to understand how I mean, and others. In other words, why be seven feet tall? Uh, I, I, I mean, really. I, I mean, I mean, 
what I mean, and I understand they say, you know, the game is better. Okay, say that is true. I, I'll take it for whatever you say. I mean, there's some great players. I, I mean, they're great, great ball players. But I just think when you take away positions, I mean, why don't we just play horse? <laughs> I mean, because that's what you're doing. You're shooting three pointers. Everybody shoot three pointers, whatnot. And, two and, two, two steps over the half court line, you shoot the three. I mean, it's good to have those skills, but to, I mean, uh, and, and I'll be honest, you know, when I sit out there and see Robin Lopez shoot three pointers, I mean, sometimes makes me want to throw up, you know, because I, I, I mean, especially because what they do now, they just put a little guy on you because you out on you out of the court. They can put a guard out you if you gonna stand out there and shoot the ball out there and still keep their close, their big man close to the basket. Because I mean, it, I mean that to me sometimes, you know, I have a problem with. You know, I think you know there's a there's a lot of great players now. I think there were a lot of great players when I played and when you played. And not only that, there were a lot more thought. I mean, I think you were, and, and I know people gonna get mad when you say this. I think basketball players had maybe a lot, a lot better basketball IQ. Yeah, I agree. When I watch a game and you down by one point and you take a three point shot, I really don't understand that. When any shot you take, you can win with. What, what, what has happened in today's game is that the three-point line has been a significant part of how you judge how you play. Rather, and, then, and then not only that, only the great players get to shoot mid-range shots. You know, now the people that cool. keep saying cool. Cool. Kawhi Leonard, ball. I mean, the best mid-range game. All the great players shoot mid-range shots. Just only the other players can't shoot mid-range shots. So, I no. mean, you know, I mean, I mean, that's the strange part of the game I don't understand. Because all the great players, I still see Kawhi Leonard in the two-point lane, and I see, yep. you know, the in the two-point lane. I see all Steph and everybody. I mean, they shoot three-pointers, but they get within the two-point lane. Everybody else could just take a chair and sit outside and wait for a shot, <laughs> you know, because, I mean, that's the way they played. You know, but for me, it would have been great because I would have had the ball in my hand. Ralph, you'd have been in damn trouble because you'd have never I'd have been, been in trouble. trouble. I, I, I would have had to be a pick and roll and pick and pop and never get the ball. I had to go and get it off the glass and dribble it up. Because I'll always be open. <laughs> <laughs> Every shot you get is going to be open. Hey, no, hey no. I'm always open. You know, you know, you see, right. I, like I said, I played with Julius Urban and I made Julius Urban one of the great players of all time. With me, he averaged 15 rebounds a game. I made <laughs> Charlie, I tell you what, thank you so much. Uh, it has been just a, an absolute pleasure. And uh, just please tell us you'll come back, okay? I repeat. Okay, no problem. Really, Mac, no. Mac, we're going to do it. It's just done. I wrote it on. I'm going to get Rick Berry, Calvin Murphy, Charlie Scott, uh, we, we're gonna have a crew. Oh, we're, we're gonna do a no, legacy, and it's gonna be. Oh, we're, no. we're gonna have a we're gonna have an extended hour because it, yeah. it ain't gonna be long enough for yeah. this. That's one, that's one round table. I want to be a part of. <laughs> we're gonna be. We're gonna do that round table. Charlie, Trudy, thank you so much, and thank you for being a part of uh, of Center Court with Ralph and the Winter Circle Network. We appreciate it. Okay, thank you. I really like it. See you later, buddy. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll text you. I'll email you back later on, Charlie and Trudy. Thanks for being on. Okay, then thank you. Charlie Scott from the Virginia Squires, the Phoenix Suns, Boston Celtics, Lakers, Denver Nuggets, an NBA champion, a three-time NBA All-Star, an ABA All-Star, all-rookie team in the ABA, going back to Carolina, two-time consensus, second-team All-American, ACC Athlete of the Year, three-time first-team All-Conference. Charlie Scott, truly one of the greats. Ralph and I wrap up the day when we come back on Center Court on the Winter Circle Network.
To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally, nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back in our final segment on Center Court. And Ralph, I, I had no idea that it took that long for Charlie Scott to be inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. What's up with that? Well, you know, you know, I, I mean, I probably wouldn't have made it into the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for Jerry Colangelo rebooting the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame was going under mm-hmm. financially, and it's been many years ago. So Jerry Colangelo, the great Jerry Colangelo from the Phoenix Suns and, and Chicago Bulls, went and revamped the whole Hall of Fame and said, these guys should be in the Hall of Fame. You got guys that you're missing out. I mean, look at Drew, uh, Drew Pearson in the NFL this year getting in, into the Hall of Fame in the NFL. He should have been there a long time ago. So same thing in football as basketball, but they revamped it, and I contribute everything to Jerry Colangelo. But Charlie should have been there a long time ago. A lot of other players should have been there a long time ago. So they made it, the, 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 the playing field, much more level, level because you would be only somebody that played and had these certain statistics in the NBA that you could be a Hall of Fame. You got to be championship because it was a very elite group but also very just one-sided so charlie changed the game of basketball in north carolina being the first african-american scholarship there can you imagine you have to have 800 you know sats to, to be able to play the acc come on that was that was that was not right don't you, don't you get 800 now if you sign your name you now if you sign your name you sign your name correctly on act so it's, it's a crazy how it evolved from that standpoint but the the, the hall of fame changed and uh, they're doing great things, and I think they will continue to do great things. I know as a uh, – and for years and years and years, and I know there have been stories, you know, and, and, and Virginia fans have – well, all ACC fans hissed and just despised uh, Dean Smith. You know, it's like a lot of people hate Tom Brady, these people that win, that seem to win uh, all the time. But I think that story of Charlie and going to Carolina when he had Press Maravich, mm-hmm. who was recruiting him, who said, yep. you can play with my boy, you know? And uh, I, I think for him to go to Carolina, and I can't even imagine those times. I know I was alive. I saw yep. him. I know what was going on. As he mentioned, Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. I know what was going on. With the, but I can't imagine being on a campus like that. You're a basketball guy, and all this is happening around you. You know, you're, you're, you're with your team. You're going to class. You know you're being talked about probably talked about behind your back i mean stick you were seven four you couldn't hide yeah. in virginia you could not hide you when you walked on campus people knew you had to leave the lawn because people kept knocking on your door can't imagine 
what it was like for Charlie Scott at that time. Well, you know, I, I think about him as well, coming from New York City. Mm -hmm. I mean, Harlem, New York City, where everything is black and white, right, in those years, whatever, mm -hmm. to North Carolina. But all he wants to do is play basketball. And the statement that resonated with me that he said was, you know, even getting to the Hall of Fame to North Carolina, he had gone through so much in his young young age, right, that prepared him to go in the Hall of Fame or not go in the Hall of Fame. He knew he was good, and his peers recognizing that he was good as well. So that that just says how uh, how good he is, how you know how much of a real man, how much he knows about the game of basketball and life, and what's meaning the most to him as well. That's why I wanted to bring his wife on, like oh, tell me God. something that you know that we don't know about Charlie because we can see his stats. But we don't know his heart like she does. But for him to get that call, and it was so great. Where Trudy, you know, yes. was, and Charlie says, "I'm going to be a handful," and his his kids knew he's going to be a handful. That was a phone call that was long and long in arriving. He certainly deserved it. It was awesome. Really, well, awesome. I'm sure I'm sure Mike has gotten that call a couple times before that, right? And said, "No, you can't get in." So he's like, "Okay, you call me this time." So I only need to pick up. So I've gotten that call uh, twice before that, once before that. Before I got in the Hall of Fame, okay, great. Well, you know, you know, um, you gonna keep calling me, so I'm not gonna pay attention to you yeah. when you call. Just call my wife because you know I'm not gonna pick up the phone anyway. So awesome. he probably got it a number of times before that. For more content and information on Centercore, you can follow us on Centercore Podcast 50 and Ralph Sampson 50 on all social media platforms. Stick, it was another great one. I hope you have a good week. I know we've got a lot coming up this week. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe out there. Thanks so much. Right. That's Centercore with Ralph Sampson on the Winter Circle Network. I'm Mac McDonald. Have a great week. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.